listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Charisma, remember, we're live every Monday, Tuesday, and Friday at 6 o'clock. And I'm telling you, tonight is going to be one of those nights you don't want to miss. You want to take notes because the power and the presence of God, I believe, is going to manifest as we talk about the finished work of the cross. A lot of people, if you ask them about the cross... All they know is that Jesus died to save them, but they don't know all that happened at the cross. Now, I probably won't get through everything this week. It probably is going to bleed into next week. Okay, no pun intended, but I'm telling you, there is power in the cross. There's power in the blood. There's power in the work that Jesus did on the cross. And Satan hates this message more than any other message. Friend, there's no more important message that we can preach as preachers then what Jesus did on the cross, then the blood of Jesus, the devil, if you do deliverance, you know how much the devil hates the blood of Jesus. You know how much the enemy hates the cross. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, that's you, that's me, it is the very power of God. That's the message of the cross. It's the power of God to those of us that are saved. And so this message is everything to us. We need to preach this. We need to talk about this. We need to know about this. And we should be able to give an answer to what Jesus did on the cross. Because I'm gonna show you tonight, it wasn't just so that you can be saved. It wasn't just so you can go to heaven when you die, but there's a real change that God wants to do in your life on earth tonight with the message of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. So I want you to understand, this is how Jesus overcame the enemy. The way that Jesus administered defeat to Satan's kingdom was through what happened on the cross. I've said this before, the cross was a nuclear warhead to Satan's kingdom. From the devil 2,000 years later, has never recovered. He's never recovered from what Jesus did to him on that cross. That he disarmed the powers. I'll give you lots of verses tonight and the principalities on the cross. And so the devil is going to do everything that he can. And don't ask me why I'm excited. You'll, you'll see when I start talking about the cross and what Jesus did. But the devil's going to do everything he can to get you off this broadcast. I'm telling you right now, he's going to do everything he can to get you to click off. He's going to do everything he can to rob you from the full benefits of the cross of Jesus Christ. He wants you just to believe, oh yeah, you could just die and go to heaven. You don't have to worry about getting delivered. You don't have to worry about getting healed. You don't have to wor worry about walking in power, walking in authority. All you do is just believe that once you die, that you're going to go to heaven. Everything's going to be fine. But understand that there is real life change. That friend, if you encounter Jesus, if you encounter what the work on the cross and you don't change, there's no transformation where you're transformed into the image of Christ, then you're missing it, guys. We're missing the work of the cross. And too many of us are coming to Jesus, but we're not being changed. We're getting, we're praying a prayer. Yeah, this is live. We're praying a prayer, but there's no real reality of the presence of God. Our friends and our family cannot see the work of Christ in our life. So I want you, as I'm preaching, let it be an interactive live stream and, and pray and say, Lord, I need you to change me. I need your power and the work you did on the cross to bring transformation in my life. I don't know about you, and I hope I'm preaching to somebody, but I'm tired of living my life under the standard of what God has called me to live. Friend, I wanna tell you, I know many preachers aren't gonna say this, they're gonna tell you just get medication, just go to a therapist, go to a counselor. There's power to deliver in the cross. Like if you're dealing with anxiety or depression or fear or irrational fear, or you're dealing with trauma from your past, or maybe you've been in an abusive relationship, or maybe you've just had a really hard time in 2020 there is healing power with this message tonight there is power in the blood which i'll show you later and so get ready tonight be in a position where you say lord i need you to go in there and heal the broken areas of my life there's many of you 
that you're tired and you're weary and you're on the verge of giving up and it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be able to keep going. And so you have to understand Satan is working overtime. He's working as hard as possible to just downplay the work that Jesus did on the cross. He doesn't want you to understand the benefits and the full power and this is why this might take me, we'll see, a couple weeks because he doesn't want you to understand the full benefits. There's a benefit package. David said, let me not forget your benefits, Lord. There's benefits to being a believer. There's benefits to what Jesus did on the cross. And so I want to paint a full picture. I want a community and a, a group of people and a family that knows what Jesus did. I want, a, I want a community and a family that knows the finished work of the cross and how to appropriate what Jesus did on the cross. Now, how many know you cannot appropriate something you don't know about? So if you don't know the work that was done or what Jesus paid for, you'll never appropriate. Come on, share this. You'll never appropriate it. And the, one of the issues is we get all excited about deliverance and we share it. And there's a lot of viewers when we talk about casting out demons. And then it's like, I, I get it. Oh, the cross, like it's just not that exciting to some of you. But you have to understand that if you don't know the benefits and the power of the cross, you'll never be victorious in deliverance. You'll never be victorious in laying hands on the sick. You'll never be able to do all that God has called you to do without a complete understanding of the work that Jesus did on the cross. So this is connected to everything. This is connected to how you treat your wife, it's connected to how you work. It's connected to where your what your kids do or how you teach them. It's connected to deliverance ministry. If you don't know your identity as a son and a daughter of Almighty God and the purchase that was made, you will never fully understand the true principles of deliverance. You'll never understand the principles of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that God has revealed mysteries. God's revealed mysteries to those that truly serve him, truly know him, that he's hidden these things from the wise. So don't come up in here trying to intellectually understand the cross or what Jesus did or the power, but come in humble. Come in saying, Lord, I want to know. Maybe I don't know everything I thought I knew. So you need to understand this was where Jesus took total victory. This was where Satan lost his grip. This is where the power of darkness was stripped from him, where death, hell, and the grave, they lost their sting on the cross. And in fact, we know the church of Galatia, in Galatia, that the devil tried to obscure the work of the cross. Galatians 3.1 says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? One translation says, who's cast a spell on you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So the problem was witchcraft had come in, been cast on this church, and it caused the cross to be obscured. It caused the church to lose sight of the work of the cross. And here's what you need to know. Once the church loses sight of the cross, it will no longer be able to declare Jesus's victory over Satan. If you're not, if you lose sight of that, then you're not victorious over the enemy. You're not victorious over Satan because it was at the cross that Jesus took a victory over darkness, Colossians 2.15. And this way, the Bible says he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Not, not worldly rulers, not physical rulers, but in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers, okay? These are demons you can't see. These are principalities, these are powers. These are demons over regions. These are high ranking rulers. We know this in Ephesians chapter six talks about rulers of darkness. And these are ruling from the second heaven. They're commanding lower ranking demons to do their bidding. And the Bible says in this way, he disarmed them. The rulers and the authorities, the spiritual authorities, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So it was on the cross that Jesus took victory over these powers, these principalities. 
at the cross, Jesus basically told the enemy and every demonic power, put your weapons down, and they had to throw their weapons on the ground. They lost their power. It was at the cross. So again, if you don't know this or fully understand this, you're going to go into deliverance and you're not going to have all the power. You're not going to have all the authority because you don't understand how the devil was defeated. There's a reason why you need to know this. This was a divine exchange that took place on the cross where Jesus took on our sin so that we can take on the righteousness. This was the divine exchange. He took on death so that we can take on life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus became sin for us. I know many people say, well, Jesus died for our sin, but you have to understand Jesus didn't just die for our sin, but the Bible says that Jesus died as our sin. The one that was blameless, the last lamb, took on our penalty on that cross. So this, this, this needs to excite us. This needs to make us want to share the gospel. This needs to make us want to tell people about the work of the cross. This should be more exciting than teaching on casting out demons. Come on, can I get some help in the chat tonight? This should be more exciting than teaching on healing the sick or prophetic dreams or angels or deliverance or any other topic. This needs to excite you. This needs to make you passionate. And you need to just think, when was the last time I truly appreciated the work that Jesus did on the cross? When was the last time I thanked the Lord? And tonight we are doing communion if you're just jumping in at the end because we need to remember the work that he did on the cross. This was all about, and this is the word I want you to stick in your head tonight as we go for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes or whatever we're gonna go for. I want this to stick in your head. The word grace, okay? Grace is something that you can never earn. There's no way to earn it and you don't deserve. Now, most religious people, they don't like God's grace because remember, religion tries to earn what Christ gave freely. So religious people, they don't like grace, but you have to understand there is no way to earn what God did for you through the death of Jesus on the cross. So you can't earn it. There's nothing, a thousand hours of prayer, going to every service, going to every altar call, getting delivered over and over, getting healed. None of this, none of this can be earned. It is only by grace. This is unmerited, this is unearned. And there's only one way that you can receive this. There's only one way that you can take this on. There's only one way that you can believe this is through the cross. Um, so you have to stop trying to earn it. Now we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus basically need to die for our sins? And the basic reason why he needed to die is because we are living our, we've lived our lives in rebellion to God. We are rebellious people. We've ran from God. I think about my life and I ran from God for years. Okay. And excuse me if I'm sweating. It's like, it's very, very hot here in California, but we ran from God for years. Isaiah 53, six says, all we sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him a iniquity of us all. And so you have to understand the Lord laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of it was laid on Jesus. We've all ran. Now, how many years did you run? I know how many years I ran. And this is the problem with the human race and the problem with everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Some of you might say, well, I was never a drunkard. I was never a thief. I was never a liar. I was never this, but you were rebellious. Now I want to talk to somebody that doesn't think that they have a testimony. You think, well, I never drank. I never partied. And I always teach this. It's not what God brought you out of that's the best testimony. It's what God kept you out of. That's the best testimony. And so some of you might say, Isaiah, I don't have a testimony. I never really lived in darkness. I never really smoked. I never really drank, but you were in rebellion. We were all in rebellion. The entire human race has rebelled against God. And this is iniquity. This is rebellion. These are similar terms 
And so we have to understand that's the problem with humanity. So it doesn't matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're Asian, if you're African, if you're American, if you're purple, if you're pink, it doesn't matter if you're rich or you are poor. We've gone our own way. We left the things of God. We've turned from Jesus. We've turned from God and we've strayed from the gospel. So you have to understand if you're sharing your testimony, your testimony is that you were rebellious, that you were like Adam and Eve in that garden where God says, I want you to go this way. I want you to do this. And you decided to go your own way. Now we know that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and witchcraft is the sin of rebellion. So this is demonic in nature. Rebellion is demonic and we've all slipped into this. And that's why people say, well, I don't really know if I need deliverance and I never really did that bad. You are a rebel. You are a rebel. You rebelled against God, God's word, God's will and God's way. And so you need to understand that you are saved from this rebellion. So that means every race every age all iniquity all rebellion it came upon jesus as he hung on the cross so every single person needs this do not i wish i could someone would help me preach tonight do not think that your neighbor doesn't need this do not think that your friends don't need this do not think that your family doesn't need this don't think that that person that's in your family that's so hard-hearted doesn't need this because every single human being doesn't matter what their status is they need the cross because the cross reconnected us it brought us out of our rebellion into obedience to god so that's the problem i know people say oh you're a sinner you need to do this and you're this you're this bad or it's like you're more bad because you're a drug addict i'm not as bad because i'm you know i just was raised in church we were all equally bad because we were all equally in rebellion to God. So this is where you need to understand. Now I'm gonna talk about some of the things that took place, some of the divine exchanges that took place on the cross so that you can understand what was done and then you can understand and you can appropriate what happened on the cross. The first thing is, if you're taking notes, write this down, is it was his punishment for our forgiveness. Um, the, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, the chastisement or the punishment for our peace was upon him. So here's the first exchange. Jesus was punished so that you can be forgiven. And you're gonna see this theme throughout our learning on the cross and the study of the cross and going through scriptures, Isaiah 53, and a lot of stuff that we're gonna talk about is Jesus took on something for us so that we can take something from him. And in this case, he took on punishment and he gives us forgiveness. Every exchange you see is always us getting the better end. Jesus did not get the good end of the deal. We got the better end of the deal. So Jesus was punished. So as long as you're in sin, you're not forgiven. You cannot be at peace with God because God will not make peace with sin, the Bible says. And so you have to understand that there was a disconnect between us and God because of our sin. We could not be at peace with God. Sin separates us from God. So Jesus was punished for our forgiveness so that we could be at peace with God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death but Jesus paid that ultimate price at Calvary. And this is what we see in Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified by faith. And now we go from being God's enemy to now we have peace with God through the work that Jesus did on the cross. So you were not at peace with God, according to the Bible. You were an enemy. Isaiah says that you were not at peace, but now you've been made at peace with God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. God will not make peace with people that are in sin. And so it was only by the work of the cross. Now, once our sin has been dealt with, God's way, then we can live a peaceful life. But our sin cannot be dealt with our way. It cannot be dealt with with just praying more or just studying more or just reading more. It had to be dealt with with what Jesus did on the cross. Now, 
if Jesus had been punished, again, we'll never be able to be at peace with God because you have to remember what does the Bible say? It says the carnal man is at war with God. We were God's enemies. We were alienated from God and Jesus' death on the cross took us from being at war with God to being at peace with God. If you look at Colossians 1.19, it says, which talks about Jesus dying on the cross, it says it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of God should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. So by him, he's gonna reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross and you, this is what your Bible says in Colossians, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you. And listen to what Paul says to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. Friend, do you see this? And what you wonder why I'm shouting. You wonder why I'm sweating tonight. You wonder why I'm excited tonight. You wonder why I'm asking you to share this because I want you to think about all that you've done. I want you to think about all the sin that you've committed. Every person that you've hurt, how you've rebelled against God, you've ran from God, that you hated God, that you were alienated from God. And then the Bible says now because of the death, you were once an enemy. Now you are blameless before God. You are above reproach and you are presented to God holy because of Jesus. That you're no longer in rebellion. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're no longer turned from God, but now you've been presented to God through the work of Jesus. So this gave us that forgiveness power so that we can be blameless. So you're telling me, now some of you might be listening and you're like, I spent years watching pornography, drinking, partying, hurting people, abusing people. And I'm able, you're telling me, I'm able to stand before God justified, forgiven. The Bible says he throws our sin in the sea of forgetfulness. Yes, only by the work that Jesus did on the cross. So you have to think about, and this is why this excites me. And this is why I'm confused why some of you don't wanna give your life to God. You get a brand new start. If any man be in Christ, he becomes a new species. He becomes a new creature. The old is passed away and behold, all things are made new. And so I wanna tell you, if you're dealing with uh, trauma or regret from past decisions, or things you did in your old life, or things that are coming back and tried to haunt you. You need to remember the work that Jesus did on the cross, and you need to understand that God has washed you, that you are now blameless, that it doesn't matter how many girls you slept with, or how many guys you slept with, or how many people you robbed, or what you did. You have to understand that you're able now to come blameless before God. This is the response, and this is why the gospel is such a beautiful thing. Now, this could not have happened any other way but through Jesus' death on the cross because only by him we can be fully delivered from the power of Satan. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Jesus we've been redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. When we have the forgiveness of sin, we also have redemption. If you've heard the redemptive work of the cross, we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, the Bible says. And the word redemption, again, I'm trying to keep it simple so we don't want to go too crazy deep here. I'm building a foundation. The word redemption means to buy back something or to ransom something. If someone says you need to pay a ransom to buy something, if someone's held someone in captivity and they give you a ransom letter, have y'all heard this? And then you have to pay to buy the person back from the terrorist, from the captors, you have to buy them back. That's what redemption means. It means to ransom someone. So you have to understand that through the price of the blood of Jesus on our behalf, as a sacrifice, we've been bought back from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1.3 says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, God did not transfer us for free. It costs God everything. God sent his only begotten son so that we can be ransomed, that we were held captive by the enemy. We were held captive by demonic powers that in our own sin, in our own compromise, the devil owned us. We were slaves to sin. Everybody that doesn't serve God is a slave to sin, is a slave to the enemy and belongs. That's why Jesus said, you either serve God or you serve the enemy. You're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground when it comes to the kingdom of God. Um, Romans 7, 14, Paul says something so interesting. I'm giving you lots of verses here. He says, we know that the law is spiritual. He says, but I am unspiritual. Listen to what Paul says, sold, sold as a slave to sin. So Paul says, I was sold as a slave to sin. So you have to understand when people were bought as slaves, they didn't get to choose what they did. The owner chose what the slave got to do. So if two slaves were bought, one of them might be a cook, one of them might be a maid. They didn't get to choose what the job that they had was because they were bought by an owner. So the devil owns you. You didn't get to choose. And some of you act like you got to choose. When you're addicted, you don't get to choose. You feel forced to sin. You feel forced to compromise. You feel forced because you are a slave of the enemy. But here's the good news that I want to tell you. Jesus walked into the slave market selected you and said, I'm going to buy this person. Satan, you cannot have them. They are now mine. They're no longer a slave, but now they are my son and daughter. This was the redemptive work of the cross and it only comes through the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, how can we be forgiven? We can be forgiven because Jesus was punished for our forgiveness. You have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You've been bought back from the powers of darkness. And this is why I'm so, I love seeing people get delivered because I get to see them come out of bondage, that they are slaves. And because of the work on the cross, they're able to come out of demonic bondage. They're able to get free. Guys, I remember for years being a slave to sin, being a slave to lust. I remember constantly cussing. I felt like every other word was the cuss word and I was a slave to my own compromise. I was a slave to my own sin. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Now you might think you can, but now that I've been saved, I look back and I'm thinking, I was a slave to those things. And I go from being a slave purchased by the blood of Jesus. I wish somebody would get excited tonight. And now I am a son of almighty God. Now I've been rescued by the power of God, by what Jesus did on the cross. So you need to understand that he was punished, brutally punished for our forgiveness. Okay, number two, the second thing, and there's many more that took place on the cross, was he was wounded so we could be healed. So it was his wounding, Okay, his pain, his punishment, so that we can receive our healing. And this is what's so crazy to me. Millions of believers around the world, they don't understand that there is a healing aspect to the atonement. There is a physical aspect, a physical element. I'm talking physical now. A physical element to what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. So he took on our physical pain. So write this down. Jesus was wounded physically 
so that we can be healed physically. This is why he did this, so that you can be healed. So this is why I have odds with people that don't believe in healing, because I'm saying you're not giving Jesus full credit and full reward from the work he did on the cross when you don't believe in miraculous healing. Now, Isaiah, is this what he meant? I'm gonna show you this is what he meant, because you need to understand when Jesus came, he started his ministry. What did he start doing? He started healing the sick. Not only that, we're gonna see the healing of the sick continue into the book of Acts. People would be miraculously healed by the laying on of hands through the apostles. In verse five of Isaiah 53, and if you don't know, Isaiah 53 is really the chapter that you wanna focus on. The Bible says it was by his stripes or by his wounds that we are healed. So think about that. Jesus dealt with our sickness. He dealt with our pain in his own body. So we don't have to live our lives in pain to cancer. We don't have to live our lives in pain to diabetes. We don't have to live our life in pain to, you know, fibromyalgia or fibrosis or um, things that tear apart the liver or the lung disease or heart disease or blood disease. We don't have to live in pain because Jesus actually took on our pain in his body by the work he did, as I'm losing my voice here, by the work he did on the cross. Now, it's interesting that when the Bible speaks of atonement, it never speaks of healing being in the future. I want you to pay attention to this. The Bible speaks of healing as being finished, okay? It's always past tense. So as, as far as God is concerned, healing has already happened. We are already healed. Now, Christians will say things like, how do I know if it's God's will to heal me? Or how do I know if God wants to heal me? But that's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, how can I receive the healing that God has already provided for me. So if you're sick in body, I wanna tell you tonight there is healing. We're gonna pray at the end of communion for healing in your body. There's healing afforded you by the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now, if you don't believe that God has provided healing in the first place, then you're likely not going to see healing or appropriate it. I and mean, this goes back to all the guys that don't pray for the sick, that don't believe in divine healing. And they say like, if God would wanna do it, he can just do it. You have to understand you're not going to see something that you don't believe in. You're not going to see something that you are have unbelief or you deny. And so the world says, see it to believe it. The Bible says, believe it to see it. So we have to believe it so that we can see it, not see it so that we can believe it. So if you're wanting to see healing, you need to understand what Jesus did. You need to appropriate it. Jesus over and over would ask people if they believed or he would say you are healed because of your faith so don't don't think you're going to get divinely healed if you don't even believe in healing don't think you're going to get divinely healed if you don't believe the work that jesus did on the cross so understand it was at the cross that jesus bore our sickness and bore our disease so healing is write this down always god's will there's no debating this if you look at matthew 8 16 at the beginning of jesus's public ministry here's what it says when evening had come they brought to him many who were demonized okay and he cast out spirits with a word and he healed all those that were sick. So you have to understand that in Jesus's healing ministry, there's no hard distinction between healing and casting out of demons. All throughout Jesus's ministry, you're going to see supernatural healing with the casting out of demons. Why? Because oftentimes, demons are sickness is attached to demons we know that in luke 13 the woman had a spirit of infirmity you're also going to see in the gospels the bible said they brought the sick to jesus and jesus cast demons out of them some of them didn't even come for deliverance but jesus recognized that their 
sickness was a demonic spirit. Now, why did Jesus minister in healing and deliverance? In verse 17, it tells us, it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. So understand that Matthew is going to tell us that Jesus came to heal all that came to him. Not some, but he healed all. Every single person, he says here, Jesus healed. All of them got healed. All through his ministry, you're going to see this happening. Jesus healing people because of what Isaiah said. So if you might be saying, Isaiah, you're preaching Old Testament, Isaiah 53, all that. Number one, the Old Testament is still important, obviously. But number two, this also went into the New Testament. Jesus continued to do this. First Peter, if you're taking notes, 2.24 says, who himself bore on our sins in his own body on the tree. So in his own body, he bore our sins on the tree that, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes were healed. But I want you to notice this, okay? Peter goes back to Isaiah 53, which I just gave you, and this is what he says. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. So I wanna tell you, if you're dealing with sickness, if you're dealing with disease, if you're dealing with demonic bondage, take the focus off of you and put it on the finished work of the cross. This is what Jesus did, not what you can do. But I want you to notice the verbiage that Peter uses. Peter uses past tense. He doesn't say that you will be healed. He doesn't say we are healed. He says we were healed. Go back and look at this. Go back and look at 1 Peter 2.24. He says, by whose stripes you were healed. Why? Because it's already been done. As far as God is concerned, your healing has already been done. When Jesus said in John 19.30, it is finished, it was finished. So God's not going to do anything else to add on to the work of the cross. It's not like, oh, 2021 sin is extra bad. I'm going to add on to what Jesus did on the cross. There's no adding on. There's no Jesus on the cross. And this is the work that Jesus did. And we don't add on to the work that Jesus did on the cross. This is everything that you've ever needed. God has done through the death of Jesus on the cross. So some of us need to stop begging and start becoming believers and start understanding that by his wounds, we were healed, that he took on these wounds in his body so that you can be healed. So I challenge somebody start thanking God for healing you even before you're healed. Peter said you were healed. So say, Lord, even though there's still pain in my body, even though there's still sickness in, my, in the physical, thank you that I've been healed. Thank you that you healed me. Thank you that restore, you restored me. Thank you that Peter says it's past tense, not present, te present tense. And you've healed me. You've restored me. You've delivered me and start praying from victory, not for victory. Start believing God. And this is one of the reasons why we don't believe this is because we've not been taught that the Greek word for salvation is the word sozo. And this literally means physical healing and deliverance from your enemies. So this speaks of healing and deliverance. Salvation directly correlates to being healed and being delivered right now. God wants to do it right now. Not so only when you die, you could just go to heaven, but so that you can live a free life. There are millions of believers in bondage waiting to get delivered when they die. So they say, oh brother, I'm just gonna have to live in sin my whole life, and then one day I'll die and I'll be free from this sinful vessel, the sinful body. So if you have that theology and you don't understand that you can live free from the bondage, what you're telling me, listen to what I'm about to say, you're telling me that death is your savior, not Jesus. 
Because here's what you're saying. You're saying that once I die, I'm gonna be free from this bondage instead of I could be free right now. Death is not your savior, Jesus is your savior. And Jesus says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of sozo. Now is the day of healing, the day of deliverance. Come on, somebody help me preach tonight. The day of breakthrough, the day of you getting delivered in your mind, healed in your body. If you have cancer, now is the day to be healed. You don't need to wait for death and say, oh, this is God trying to teach me something. Friend, I can't find in the New Testament God putting sickness on people to teach them a lesson. It's not God's will. God wants to deliver you. God wants to heal you. God wants to save you. You need to understand that in the atonement was healing and deliverance. I just showed you that in the book of Matthew. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. So this is a promise that we're hearing about how the Lord is going to deliver us. The Lord is going to save us and preserve us. Now, the translation that says preserve, Paul used the word sozo. So Paul is affirming that the Lord is going to save me and keep on saving me. So is salvation in sozo? Absolutely, that's what the word means. So yes, you will go to heaven when you die if you receive salvation, if you put your faith in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. But also, I think that guys, we're missing out so much of what Jesus wants to do right now. Churches are afraid of healing. Churches are afraid of deliverance. And we need to understand that this is part of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now, most Christians don't reject salvation they neglect salvation. Write that down. They don't reject it. They neglect it. They neglect it by only believing the part where they go to heaven, but not the part where the sick is healed and where demons are cast out. Again, excuse me, my voice is gone. And this is equally the work that Jesus did on the cross. In fact, Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verse 3 says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So we must stop ignoring all that salvation has to offer. It's our fault as preachers, because we've taught you that you just need to get saved over and over and over and pray the sinner's prayer and just keep getting saved every week and you don't need to get healed and you don't need to get delivered and you don't need breakthrough and you don't need restoration. Come on, share this broadcast. Just keep getting saved over and over and over and over, and that's going to be fine. But not understanding that that's not the full thing, that we've neglected salvation, not because we didn't pray a prayer, but because we're not demonstrating the supernatural power of God that was afforded on the cross that Jesus did. So we're limiting Jesus. We're limiting to what Jesus can do. The Bible says that he could do only a few miracles, in his home city, not because he didn't have the power, but because the people didn't want it. So we need to stop limiting what God can and can't do, and we need to let healing break out. I challenge you pastors listening, let healing break out in your church. Let deliverance break out in your church. Let revival break out in your church. Let signs and wonders break out in your church. Jesus paid the price so that you can be healed, so that you can be delivered, and we need to stop ignoring all that salvation has to offer. We need to stop teaching just get saved, just get saved, just get saved, just pray a sinner's prayer when salvation is so much more than that according to the scriptures. Now, one of the most practical ways you can appropriate what God has done is just thanking God for what he's done, saying, thank you, Lord, that through your sacrifice, I've been forgiven, I've been healed, I've been delivered, like we're gonna do tonight in communion, acknowledging the work that Jesus did on the cross, acknowledging that it was only by his death, only by what he did on the cross that you can be saved, okay? Number three exchange that happened is righteousness 
in place of sinfulness. Write that down. Righteousness in place of sinfulness. And this was this is what some would call imputed righteousness. Now again, this is not something we earned. This is not something we deserve. This is only given freely by the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now we have to distinguish. There's a difference between sins, which is plural, and sin, which is singular. Okay? Sins are the sinful acts that we've committed. And Jesus was punished so those sinful acts could be forgiven. Okay, that's sins. Like, I sin, there's sins in my life. Sin, S-I-N, not plural, is the power or the nature that causes you to commit sin. We live in a fallen nature, in a sin nature. So the, the, our flesh wants to commit sin. Our flesh desires to commit sin. So you have to understand that until we deal with sin, until it's been dealt with, we're not completely delivered. We're not completely free. And so Jesus deals with sin on the cross. He breaks the power, not of sins. I hope this is making sense, but the power of sin. He breaks that on the cross. It just kicked everybody out. Okay, everybody refresh the feed. I apologize. It just kicked everybody. The devil is a liar. Just refresh the feed, refresh the feed. We're having internet issues. YouTube's having issues. It's so frustrating, guys. But yeah, if it crashed, just refresh it. Refresh, refresh. Again, guys, I apologize for it crashing. YouTube's having issues. It just kicked out about close to a thousand people. So just go ahead and refresh. We'll get you guys all back on here. No, it's kicking people out again. No, no, no. I hope it stays on the devil's a liar. Don't leave, guys. Don't leave. Stay on here. Refresh, refresh, refresh. Everybody jump back in. Oh, man, it just kicked everybody out. Okay. Anyways, I hope it refreshes here. Just keep refreshing. Our internet is still on. But again, YouTube is having some server issues and I hope it doesn't completely shut down our stream. The devil is a liar. We come against every demonic assignment. We come against every demonic attack. We come against every plan of the enemy. Facebook is fine, but YouTube just kicked everybody. The devil is a liar. He doesn't want you to hear this. Just keep refreshing. We're going to get you back, guys back on here. Okay, so let's look at the atonement in, in Isaiah 53.10. It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Yeah, just refresh, refresh if you're on YouTube. Refresh, refresh. And then it says, when you make his soul, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand in his hand. Isaiah 53 10. This is the atoning work of the cross. It says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. One one place in the Bible says that it pleased the Lord to pour out his wrath on his son. So when and then it says, when you make his soul an offering for sin. This was God making the soul of Jesus an offering for our sin. Now Here's what you need to understand. As we all get back on here, praise the Lord, refresh, refresh, get back on. Under the old covenant, if a person committed a certain type of sin, he was required to find an appropriate offering for that sin. Okay, so the person would bring that sacrifice, whether it was a bull, whether it was a goat, whether it was a sheep, to the priest at the tabernacle, and they would confess their sin. So they'd bring an offering, and they would confess their sin. Then they would lay their hand on the head of the sacrificial animal, and by that act, symbolically, by putting their hand on the head, they were transferring the sin from themselves to the animal. So once the sin had been transferred from the person to the animal, they would, that animal would take on the penalty of sin, and they would kill the animal. And the animal, in a sense, was paying with its life the penalty for the person's sin. And so that's why they were killing animals in the tabernacle. That's why they had to sacrifice because that, that sin was going on the animal. They were imputing their sin to the animal. So you have to understand this was a picture of what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. God transferred 
all the sin of humanity to the soul of his own son, Isaiah 53, 10. So Isaiah makes an amazing statement that's very hard to understand. He said, you make his soul an offering for sin. So Jesus's soul was made a sin offering for the entire human race. The entire sin of all of the human race was put on Jesus. Man, it's kicking everybody. No, if you're on YouTube, just refresh. Just refresh if you're on YouTube, keep refreshing. I'm sorry guys, I don't know why it's kicking you. I'm gonna try to refresh it here. I have internet still, but I apologize that it's kicking you. Just keep refreshing and getting back in. It's so frustrating, guys. The devil is a liar. Of course, the one night that I'm preaching on the cross, the devil's a liar, kicking everyone. Okay, just keep refreshing, and you guys will get back, get, get back in here. So God, I know Facebook's fine. Maybe you need to get on Facebook. But yeah, it's, it's YouTube, guys. It's YouTube having issues. Just go ahead and refresh, and we'll get you guys back on here. So the work that Jesus did on the cross, it was God pouring out, and Isaiah 53.10 says his soul was an offering. He made his soul an offering for our sin. So Jesus was made an offering for our sin. And so you have to understand this. Like if you think about a memory of an old sinful thing you did and you think of the shame that comes with that, think of the sinless son of God taking on the entire sin of the world. The total sinfulness of the entire human race was on the cross. And this is why in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, the garden of Gethsemane, that he didn't want to go to the cross. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The cup was the wrath of God being poured out. It was taking on the sins of humanity. So this is what happened at the cross. Jesus took on the entire sin of humanity. And so you have to understand the power that happened there. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, that what we might become the righteousness of God. So the opposite of sinfulness is righteousness, and this was the exchange that happened at the cross. We will never attain righteousness with God. That's right standing with God by trying to be good enough. It is only by the faith we have in Jesus that we can just go ahead and refresh and share, guys, that we can take on his righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. So at the cross, God takes our filthy garments of sin and covers us in the garment of salvation and the robes of righteousness. And Isaiah says, this is my response. This is my response to Jesus taking my filth, to taking my guilt, taking my shame and giving me a garment of righteousness, giving me a garment of salvation. He goes, here's my response, is greatly rejoicing. He goes, I'm excited, I'm gonna rejoice. People wonder why I'm excited because I'm no longer bound. I'm no longer wearing robes of filth and of sin, but now I can wear robes of righteousness. Friend, you have the robes of righteousness according to the scripture. Now righteousness, Again, I'm trying to explain complicated principles, you know, in a, in a very simple to understand manner. Righteousness and justification are two different things. They're not the same. I'm sorry. Righteousness and justification are very similar things. Justified, excuse me, means to be made righteous or made just. And so this is what Christ has done. He's justified us. So that means like if you're in court and you did a crime and the judge says you are guilty, you're 100% guilty, you deserve a life sentence, but then all of a sudden when the judge reads the verdict, you know you're guilty, you know you deserve a life sentence, the judge reads not guilty. 
That's justified. You've been justified. So you have to understand that your case has been tried in the Supreme Court of Heaven. And God says, you are not guilty. You are acquitted. You are justified. If you want to remember justified, think of it as this. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. And so this is what the devil hates is that you've been justified. Think about this. You serve the devil for years. You serve darkness for years. You can't, you serve the enemy's kingdom for years. You were a slave to sin. The devil got you, spent all his work getting his demons to provoke you to sin, getting his demons down the path. Now you show up to a church or you show up to a live stream, wherever it was, you get radically saved. And think about this. The 20 years that the devil worked to make you sin, the 20 years that the devil worked to destroy you and to kill and to take from you, now God says, because of the cross, in one moment, I justified you and you are now in right standing with me. That is why the devil's so mad because he spent years trying to give you a guilty verdict. He spent years trying to separate you from God, but now God says you've been justified because of the work Jesus did. So you have to know, one of Satan's primary weapons against humanity is guilt. So you need to be careful. Anyone that makes you feel guilty, they do not come from God. Now the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in John 16, 8, convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But there's a difference between guilt and a difference between conviction, okay? Here's the difference. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, he says, you did this wrong, you need to repent, you need to make it right, and you need to pray, you need to, you know, cry out, whatever you have to do, repent and make it right. Now, after that, the case is closed. The case is done. Once you've confessed, once you've repented, once you've done whatever you need to do, the matter's closed. Okay, get over your sin, move on into the forgiveness of God. Now, guilt is you doing something and then constantly feeling like God doesn't forgive you, constantly feeling rejected, constantly feeling like no matter what you do, it's never enough. Now that's not the Holy Spirit, that's an evil spirit working. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not make you feel bad for something that you've already repented of, you've already walked away from, and God has already forgiven you of. That's a plan of the enemy to leave you in a perpetual cycle of guilt. And this is living in denial of the work of the cross. So you have to understand there's a big difference between conviction and between guilt. Revelation 12:10. I love the picture that the Bible paints of Satan's defeat. It says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren. Listen to this. The accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So the devil is the accuser of the brethren that accuses us before God day and night, but there's coming a day according to Revelation 12, 10, where he's going to be cast down once and for all. Guys, if you're on YouTube, just refresh. We'll get everybody back in. Thank you to everyone that's staying here. Okay, we just got back up to about 2,000 and it kicked everyone out. We had like 300 at that point. Praise the Lord. But you have to understand the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So if you're living in habitual guilt, that's not the Holy Spirit. Will the Holy Spirit convict you? Yes. He will bring conviction, but he will not bring guilt upon you. Why would he bring guilt upon you if you've already been washed, if you've already been restored, if you've already been renewed? He's not going to keep making you guilty for something that Christ has forgiven you. If the Bible says he throws your sin in the sea of forgetfulness, okay? So understand there's a big difference between that, okay? So number three was righteousness in the place of sinfulness. Number four, and this is the last one I'm going to go over tonight. Again, I might continue into next week because I have a lot more to go into when it comes to this, but I'm going to go over one more, then we're going to take communion. Number four is life 
in place of death, okay? This is very important because you need to understand that Jesus' dying and his death on the cross gave us the ability to partake in life, to partake in true life. I'm not talking about having or being alive. I'm talking about living in life, the life that Jesus created in John 10, 10. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they, which is us, may have life and life more abundantly. So you need to understand there's a massive difference between what Jesus gives us and between what we deserve, okay? Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the contrast between wages and a free gift. Wages are what we've earned and what for what we've done. That's wages, okay? If you go to work and you get wages, you work and you get paid for your work. So the wages of sin, something I've done, I've sinned and I deserve wages. I deserve a penalty. I deserve a payment. So I deserve someone to pay me for what I've done. But the gift of God is eternal life. A gift is, is free. A gift is something you can't earn. If I give you a gift and you earned it, it wouldn't be a gift, it would be payment. So you have to understand the wages of sin, the payment of sin, we deserved it, is death, but the gift of God, I know, I don't know why my voice went out so soon and I'm shouting too loud here, but the gift of God is eternal life. So you need to understand what Jesus did on the cross. Now, mercy being the alternative to justice. We deserve justice, and that means we deserve hell. We deserve complete separation from God, Every single one of us have fallen short, but God says, instead of giving you justice, I'm going to give you mercy. And mercy is the fact that we don't get what is due to us, but Christ took on what he didn't deserve so that we can take on what we didn't deserve. In fact, in Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, it says, was made a little lower than the angels that he, by the grace of God, listen to what it says, might taste death for everyone. So Jesus tasted death. For every single person, he tasted it so that you wouldn't have to. That you wouldn't have to live your life under the power of darkness. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. That's what Leviticus 17, 11. So life is in the blood. That's what Leviticus says, okay? And that's what I talked about earlier. When they would put the animal down, they would put their hand on the animal and they would put their sin on the animal and they would kill the animal and that animal would pay the penalty for their sin. God the Father put our sin on his son. Jesus died to pay the penalty of the entire human race. So you have to understand, the life of God, because remember, Jesus died so we could have life. The life of God is found in the blood of Jesus, okay? The last lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. So there is untold power, unfathomable power in the blood of Jesus. Now we hardly talk about the blood of Jesus in the church today. We hardly sing about the blood of Jesus today, but there is life in the blood and there is power in the blood. And tonight in a couple minutes, we're gonna take communion as a reminder of his body and his blood. Now in John 6, chapter 6, verse 54, Jesus said this, listen to what he says here. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, listen to this, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now when he said this, 
Thousands of people left his meeting because there's something offensive about blood. There's something standoffish about blood. A lot of people, they can't stand to look at blood. They get squeamish about blood. They don't like blood. They can't stand blood. But you have to remember the cross is an offense. But without the cross, there is no hope. And so it's an offensive thing that Jesus said when he said to drink my blood, not understanding when he said drink my blood, they didn't remember obviously Leviticus 17, 11, that says the life is in the blood. So what Jesus was saying was, take my life, take in the life of Christ. I've come to give you life through the spilling of my blood. I would release life on the earth because the life is in the blood. And so you have to remember, this was what happened at the cross, John 6, 53. Then Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So here Jesus is connecting the blood of Jesus with the life of God. So the life of God is in the blood of Jesus. This is why we need the blood. This is why every one of us, we depend on God for life. The very breath in your lungs comes from God. And without God, there would be no life because God is the originator and God is the creator of life. Even the atheist has life because of what Jesus did. Even the atheist has life because of God. And so understand that this is in the blood. This is the only way we have life. Um, Even though an atheist denies and rejects God, God keeps him alive because of the mercy of God. So you have to realize every one of us are dependent on the next breath in our lungs. And the only channel of eternal life that God has given us is through the blood of Jesus. If we want life, we must recognize that true life, eternal life, comes from the shed blood of Jesus and the exchange that took place on the cross. So the more you learn about it, the more you honor it, the more you meditate on what he did on the cross, the fuller and the more abundant your life will be because he said, I've come to give you life. Now, when Jesus died on that cross and poured out his blood for us, this was God releasing to the entire human race, the life of God, the forgiveness power of God. So, and if you know our blood type, your actual blood type comes from your father. And this is why Jesus was born of a virgin. Joseph was not his father. His bloodline had to be perfect. The blood had to be perfect to redeem us because in the blood was the curse. And so he had to have a perfect bloodline to remove the curse that Adam brought, the curse of sin that carried on on the blood life. So that now he took on our sin so that we can take on the blameless. So one that I went over was his punishment for forgiveness. I know it's a lot tonight. Number two was his wounding for our healing. Number three was righteousness, right standing with God in place of sinfulness. And number four was life in place of death. Okay. And I know I've been going for about an hour and seven minutes here. I know it's a lot guys, life in place of death. These are just four of the exchanges of there's many more, four of the things that were done on the cross that when you understand this, when you appreciate the work that Jesus did on the cross, when you appreciate the power of what Jesus did on the cross and you start appropriate, you start thanking the Lord. God, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. Thank you that I could not earn this, that there is no better life, that I wanna tell everybody about what you did. Now, it's not about forcing myself to share my faith. It's not about forcing myself to tell people. It's about understanding the blood of Jesus, the power of Jesus and the message of the cross that makes me want to share with people. It makes me excited. It makes me want to tell people I've been forgiven. I've been washed by the blood of the lamb. 
I've been restored. I've been renewed. I've been redeemed. And I thank the Lord for what he did. I thank the Lord for his power. It's not some abstract reality. It's not some far off thing he did, but how often just going through our day, and I'm guilty of this. Do we thank the Lord for what he did on the cross? How much do we think about the cross in our prayer time? And we say, Lord, thank you for what you did, that I've been redeemed, that I was an enemy. I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy. I was alienated. The Bible says I was at war with God, but the Bible says through his blood, through the cross, I'm able to be at peace. If you can't hear me, just refresh here. I know a lot of people are getting back on. If you can't hear me, just refresh. If you need to go back and rewatch it, because we kept getting dropped here off of the YouTube server, there's nothing we can do about that, guys. The, the Facebook was fine. It was on YouTube's end. Then go ahead and do that. But you guys have to understand that there is power there is power in Jesus' name. There is power by the blood of the Lamb. There is power by the Word. And I believe tonight that God wants to restore. I believe tonight God wants to heal. I believe tonight God wants to redeem. I believe tonight God wants to renew. And tonight we are going to take communion. And this is perfect timing. This is perfect fitting to do this because we just got done for an hour and eight minutes talking about what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, so we're going to take communion. Now, if you're new, Everybody have their communion ready. I'm going to give you a couple of time. I'll explain communion. I have here a cracker, which represents the body. And I have some grape juice, which represents the blood. So go ahead and get your bread, get your grape juice, get whatever you need. We're going to pray for healing as well after, but we're going to take communion here. So get whatever elements that you need. And we're going to talk about communion. Communion is basically exactly what I talked about tonight. It's reminding us and reminding ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, you know, and I know, especially in the generation we live in. Yeah, go ahead and everyone get your stuff ready. The generation that we live in, we're extremely forgetful people. We forget of what Jesus did. We forget of what, I don't remember what I ate yesterday. And so communion is a way that we remind ourselves. It's a, it's a symbolic way to remind ourselves of the work that Jesus did on the cross of the bread, his body be broken. The juice represents the blood of Jesus, which we're now forgiven by that blood. Now communion was originally celebrated by God's people as a promise of his protection during Passover. That's an X12. But then Jesus came, redefined communion in Luke 22, 19. Jesus said, the Bible says, he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. Gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus is telling the disciples to do this in remembrance of me. That's why we're doing it tonight. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So in the blood is the new covenant, is the life of God, is that New Testament life that God has given us, okay? So we need to, I do this every time we take communion. If you've taken communion with us before, I do this I do this every single time. Yes, if you don't have grape juice or something, you can use anything to symbolize it, guys. It's just symbolic. Okay, whatever you have, we're not we're not religious here. Whatever you have, use what you have. Um it'll work fine, okay? So use whatever you have. There's no there's no rules about what we have to use. I'm using grape juice and I'm using a cracker as symbolism, but if you don't have it, use whatever you can use. You can use any drink to symbolize it. Okay. Now, one thing I want to say most people won't talk about in communion is I want us to examine ourselves. I mean, this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So it's very, very simple. We examine ourselves, okay? We examine ourselves before the Lord. We repent 
and we ask the Lord for forgiveness. So right now, right now, we're just going to spend some time to examine ourselves, okay? So wherever you're at, examine your heart, examine yourself. Now, you don't have to be perfect to do this. You don't have to be have it all together, but you just need to examine your heart. Is the motives right? Is there pure? We've explained the cross tonight, so I want you to examine yourself, and then I want you just to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. Lord, we repent. We ask you to forgive us. We thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, if there's anything in our life that's offensive towards you or not not of your kingdom or not in your will, we repent. We pray that you would expose it. We pray that you would reveal it. And we pray that you would wash us in the mighty name of Jesus. Wash us, God. Yes, if you're fasting, you can take communion. This is not going to break your fast. But Lord, we just ask you right now to wash us, to examine us, to examine ourselves, that we are not taking this lightly, that this is not a game, that this is not a joke. We're not taking it in an unworthy manner, but we see what you did on the cross. We see the finished work. We believe what you did. We honor you, Lord. And tonight, God, we thank you for what you did. And so here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to take our bread. So go ahead and everybody get their bread. Okay, so I have my bread here. I have a, I have a cracker as the bread. And I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians 11:23. 23. It says, For I received from the Lord, which I also deliver you, the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and had given when he had given thanks, which we just did, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so now everyone can eat their bread. Go ahead now, everyone eat their bread. Yes, Tracy, you can take communion again if you've already taken it today. So go ahead and eat the bread, which represents the body that was broken for us. Okay, now we're going to take our juice or water, whatever you have, which represents the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five says, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so we're going to drink now. Go ahead and drink that. Thank you, Lord. First Corinthians eleven twenty-six. 26. That's what I want to end with. For as often as you eat this bread, which we just did, and drink the cup, which we just did, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is the Bible telling us that we need to continue to do this. By And by doing this, we're proclaiming the, the Lord's death till he comes. This is something we're going to keep doing until the Lord returns because we're proclaiming to people the death of the Lord, the message of the cross. So let us pray. Father, we thank you right now, God, for what you did on that cross. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the work that you did, the finished work of the cross by grace, the punishment that you took. Lord, we appreciate it. We are grateful, God. Let us never lose sight of the work you did on the cross. Let us never lose sight of the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. And Father, tonight, for some of us that have not thanked you in so long, God, we thank you. Lord, we are honored. We are humbled, God. We humble ourselves before you tonight. Lord, we ask you that you would just bring breakthrough. And some of you right now, as we do this, you're getting healed as we take communion. As we pray, you're getting healed. You're getting deliverance. Father, we ask you, your word says and makes it clear that salvation is healing of the sick. So Father, I pray right now that you would release your healing power in Jesus' name. We just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be released right now. We thank you, Lord. I speak to every person that's sick in body. And I say, be healed right now in Jesus' mighty name. Psalms 103 says, all sickness, all disease, that on that cross, he took it on. So Father, I thank you that there is healing tonight, that there is power. So I speak over every sickness and I say to you, be healed 
in Jesus' mighty name. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray the fire of the Holy Spirit. I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon your body now, to come upon your house now. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd release your fire over these people. Right now, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, if you need to refresh, refresh the feed. Put your hand on your body wherever you need healing. Father, we ask for healing power to be released in Jesus' name. We ask for healing power to be released in Jesus' mighty name, God. Heal your people tonight. God, we believe you for healing. We believe you for healing. We believe you for restoration. We believe you. Just refresh it, guys. If it's kicking you out, just refresh it. We believe you, God, that you would restore your people, that you would heal your people. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would invade every single person listening, everyone that has sickness in their body, every person that's being demonized. I pray, God, that you would heal them. I pray that you would restore them. And I pray that you would renew them in Jesus' name.